Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. How's everybody doing regarding the white lung pneumonia? Are we all dying yet? <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, the panic. It's all back again. It's on all the news channels. It's on all the cable stuff. You're hearing it on the radio. It's so exhausting. Just exhausting. I'll get into that a little bit later. Of course, we know what it really is. All right. I'll tell you what. I want to start with this. This was rather big, I thought. Of course, as usual, I have education-related things as well. Sorry for the uh, messed up introduction here. But either way, I stumbled across this and thought this was rather interesting and rather shocked that uh, more people aren't talking about this. I'm pretty sure I have this accurate, and it seems like a very big deal. First of all, you may have heard that the state of Florida has apparently already stated that Joe Biden is the presidential nominee on the ticket for the 2024 election before a primary vote has even taken place. They've just said, well, he's on the ballot and he's the only one, so therefore he's the Democratic nominee, or Democrat nominee, rather. I think they also stated something like, you're not even allowed to write in anybody's name on the Florida ballot during the primary, that basically it's either Joe, it's just Joe Biden and then whomever is running against him, which of course for the DNC is nobody. But come presidential election time, if it even reaches that particular point, uh, things are going to get rather hinky, I think, here. So that's when I stumbled across this, which has to do with what the DNC has done now regarding a presidential nominee for their side, even before the election takes place after the primary vote. So it says this, it says rules adopted by the Democrat, I'm sorry, Democratic National Committee in 2022 leave the DNC as the sole authority to appoint a presidential nominee where that nominee resigns after the August 2024 convention. No vote or primary needed. So it says this, quote, filling a vacancy on the national ticket in the event of death, resignation, or disability of a nominee of the party for president or vice president after the adjournment of the national convention, the national chairperson of the Democratic National Committee shall confer with the Democrat leadership of the United States Congress and the Democratic Governors Association and shall report to the Democratic National Committee which is authorized to fill the vacancy or vacancies, unquote. So <laughs> here's, here's what this actually means. I can't, I, I mean, they're going to do this. This is, this is going to be absolutely incredible. They're going to put Joe Biden on the primary ticket, but it's not going to matter because what will happen is, is they will have him step down for one reason or another. It'll either, again, it'll either be illness, his dementia, whatever the hell, and uh, or they'll kill him off, something, but then they will just flat out choose somebody. And it won't matter, again, who previous people voted for or what they think of this person. They will just flat out select somebody, and then that will be the person who allegedly runs for president for the DNC. Absolutely incredible. I, th I think they're going to do this. Why not? Again, we can assume that nothing in 2024 is going to be normal to anything that we've ever seen before. 
They're going to pull, I mean, they've got to pull out every possible card they possibly can. But what they've done with this policy now that they've created is they've basically just said, we don't care about any of the voters. We don't care about who they vote for. And we're just going to pick whoever we want, because if we want them to step down, well, then they're going to step down, because we're going to have a replacement at the ready, no matter what. This is a huge deal. I'm shocked that more people aren't bringing this up. So we'll have to wait and see, but again, I'm almost 100% certain that they're going to do this. I mean, they know that they don't like Joe Biden. You, you start asking any politician on the proverbial left what they think of him, and they all get tight-lipped. They go, well, if he's the nominee, he's the nominee. But you can tell, again, that they're not enthused by it. So they're just going to pick somebody else. I mean, it would make sense, again, the, the Gavin Newsom thing, you know, that charade of a debate with Ron DeSantis, that was embarrassing. And again, why would they even do that? Is it to introduce Gavin Newsom to the world as if we already don't know that he's a Satanist and a pedophile and a monster? But again, if they end up picking him, absolutely remarkable. I just think it's going to be wild. So we got to we got to keep an eye out for that, I think. And uh, I've yeah, I have no doubt that something like that will probably happen. So there's that. Okay, there's also this. There was, of course, the Jimmy Carter funeral, which was rather interesting. I don't think it was quite as interesting as the Bush funeral was with all the communications that were taking place during that entire thing. But um, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one to catch this. And it was, it was, frankly, the first thought I had as soon as I saw it, which had to do with the seat placement of everybody at that funeral. I thought it was very interesting that Melania Trump was sitting on the end, which is exactly where Joe Biden was supposed to be sitting. Now, again, you know, was it a was it a mistake or was it an intentional? I think it was intentional. Again, you had Joe Biden and his wife sitting on the far left, basically right next to Jimmy Carter, who again is comatose and in a wheelchair and in hospice and the whole thing. But you had Melania Trump sitting where the real commander-in-chief is supposed to sit. Not to mention Donald Trump wasn't there, and neither was George Bush, and neither was Barack Obama. But Bill Clinton was there, and Jimmy Carter was there, and yeah. So I found it interesting that the other people you know, didn't go, but at the exact same time, the seating arrangement was the thing that sort of caught my eye. And again, I'm not the only one who saw that. I just thought that it was very, very interesting. Okay. On to education-related things here. Uh, I want to play this first. I have a piece of audio here. This is a Missouri University that is having to cut 21 programs and at least 19 jobs amid budget cuts. It ties nicely, I think, into the last episode. And again, this is, this is what's happening all across the United States. Again, never before have there been so many news stories regarding Lost budgets, cutting cutting programs, cutting staff members, professors, whatever it is, across the entire landscape of American colleges and universities, quite like what is going on right now. And we, of course, know all of the reasons why. Yes, they're fiscally irresponsible. We know that. But when you inject individuals with a biological weapon, when they're constantly sick, not showing up, enrollment is low. People, again, are continuing to use these programs as the butt of every single joke that exists on the face of the planet, and again, rightfully so. This is, this is the 
predictable outcome. And that's exactly what's happening here. So again, this comes right out of Missouri. Give this a listen in 3-2-1. Major cuts are being proposed at Fontbon University, including staffing and some fine arts programs. This comes as the university announces a nearly $2 million deficit. Fox 2's Mallory Thomas is talking with students about their concerns. Instead of stressing about finals that are one week away, many Fontbonne students are unsure of their future. Somber, our chair, reached out to all of us and, and said, my door's open, please come talk if you want. They've all been very supportive and very, um, we want to help you all in any way we can. Two emails sent out Thursday, one to current students and the other to alumni. They're raising a lot of questions and concerns. Abby Platt and M.V. Lachlan say the emails contradict one another. We're feeling very confused, honestly. I, we both feel like with the alumni email and that statement, but then also with the statement that they sent current students, there's differences, and um, we're just confused, and we need, we feel like we need some answers. The email to students offers discount on coursework and even free summer classes as the university tries to navigate a budget shortfall. But alumni say their email shows expanding specific programs to at least one other state and introducing new academic programs. Current students say their programs are on the chopping block in the middle of their studies. You keep cutting and whittling and reallocating or trying new ventures and you're not the same university. A total of 19 faculty members are losing their jobs. The school's website shows they are offering a voluntary early separation program for eligible staff. The breakdown shows five tenured full-time art faculty, two in deaf education, one in early childhood, three in speech-language pathology, and 10 other departments are also losing staff or not filling vacant positions. In St. Louis, Mallory Thomas, Fox 2 News. I have to tell you the part that just continues to fascinate me to absolutely no end is that they don't know why. You know, I, I harped on it big time in the last episode with the Westerville City School District in Ohio. Same thing here. These individuals have no idea why they're experiencing this. We just seem confused. We just seem lost. We just don't understand. The messages seem to contradict uh, one another. They're cutting programs and then they're building new programs and we just don't understand. Yeah, you don't understand. That's the problem. And again, these are the lower level, low enrollment majors and courses of study that get cut first. It's always been that way. So yeah, they're cutting early childhood education programs, but what does that mean further down the line and into the actual profession? It means they're having a hard time finding school teachers because no one wants to do it anymore. No one with a straight head on their shoulders anyway. No one really wants to do it anymore. So you have an entire university, albeit probably not a big university, clearly, but it doesn't matter. They have a major course of study in early childhood education and they can't find anybody, so they're cutting them loose. They're also cutting loose, it says here, communications, several other uh Several other courses of study, which also include global studies, healthcare management, fine arts. Yeah, this is, this is what happens. This is the game. Welcome to the party. But again, this is happening all over the United States. And again, it's not receiving a lot of press. It's not receiving, receiving a lot of coverage. And it shouldn't shock people. This is just continuing to implode.
And that's just more evidence. But again, the people who are on the inside are the most brainwashed, and they can't see what's taking place here. They complied. This is the result of direct compliance with tyranny. When you comply, and everybody agrees, and you don't ask questions, and you don't take a stand, and you don't think for yourself, and you don't learn about the real world we live in, you're going to be the victim of that tyranny every single time. You've heard me say it a million times. The end result of Bolshevism is your head up against a wall and a gun pressed up against your temple. That's the end. It all ends that way, metaphorically, literally, or one way or another. But again, if people who are on the inside can't see this and they don't understand that their compliance was the real problem in this entire thing, well, too bad. You're going to be the victim of it then. Just don't whine about it. Don't whine about being the victim of the thing that you agreed with and went, went along with. And then say, oh, we were all tricked. I can't believe it. Yeah, no kidding. And we were on the outside shouting at you saying you're being tricked. You're being duped. This entire thing is a scam. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay. Into the K-12 realm now. Get a load of this. Can't believe this is actually taking place. But then again, it is the times. So it certainly is believable. But seems totally unconstitutional and completely illegal. This is from the peoplesvoice.tv. It is titled, Biden, Accept Grooming in Schools or Your Children Will Go Hungry. It says the Biden administration has implemented a new rule that forces schools to align with far-left ideology on gender and sexuality, risking the loss of federal aid for free and reduced-price school lunches if they don't comply. It's so foolish, ladies and gentlemen, that it just seems like a joke. It's just it's so foolish. Keep the pornographic books or else you don't get free lunch. Okay. It says legal ex experts suggest that this is just the initial step in a series of upcoming rules linking federal education funding to progressive policies regarding gender and sexuality. I can't wait. I say, I say bring it on. Bring it on. If this gets more people, to pull their children out of these school environments, perfect. Perfect. Just keep doing it. Keep playing all the cards you have in your deck and, uh, and just cross your fingers and hope for the best. It's never going to work out for these people. Again, th they are complying their way right out of work, right out of a line of work. It says the controversy surrounding school lunch funding emerged in May of 2022, as previously reported by the People's Voice, following an announcement from the U.S. Department of Agriculture responsible for federal assistance in school lunches. The USDA declared its intention to modify its longstanding interpretation of Title IX, a law broadly addressing discrimination protections in education. The department announced an expansion of its existing ban on sex-based discrimination to now include discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. It says that change has major legal and taxpayer dollar implications and is an unprecedented reinterpretation of the statute according to experts. For instance, schools receiving Pell Grants, FAFSA, or students who receive federally subsidized school lunch funding, will be subject to new Title IX interpretation or risk losing that funding.
<laughs> it's great. I think this is exquisite. Just keep it coming. It flat out is exposing so much right now. It's exposing so much. And unfortunately, and this is a ma major unfortunate angle of this, is it's continuing to expose how many people are willing to go along with it. I mean, there are endless individuals, again, who aren't taking a stance against this. And they're just going, well, okay, it's just another government school-related policy and the two work together all the time, but let's just keep sending our kids and maybe they won't be downstream from all these terrible decisions. Well, of course they will because they, al they always are. They are the target. The children are always the intended target of all of these policies. And they're certainly the target of perverse books and the sexual orientation stuff and indoctrination and confusion and all of that. Of course, we know that the devil's the architect of the entire thing, and he's just using these school systems and government as his tools to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But they're exposing themselves still, that they'll do anything for money. They'll do anything for a free lunch program. It's amazing. That leads me to this now. Same avenue, same kind of angle. The Penguin Publishing Company, who of course publishes a wide variety of books, everything from biographies to, again, the children's sexualized books, without a doubt, and all of these books, of course, make their way into school libraries for one reason or another, but they are suing the state of Iowa because the state of Iowa and their Department of Education has said, we don't want these books in our libraries. So now they're being attacked by these very satanic, clearly, publishing companies. This is the state of affairs in our country. That if you do what you are legally allowed to do, which is remove pornography from libraries, where children, of course, have access to these, as do perverse teachers and everybody else, that then the publishers will actually come after you because they say that, well, you're discriminating against them and their publishing company. So I have the lawsuit right here in front of me. This is in the United States District Court for the Southern District of Iowa Central Division. It is Penguin Random House, LLC, Lori Hals Anderson, John Green, uh, Melinda, Melinda Lowe, Jody whatever, and a bunch of other names. The Iowa State Education Association. And it is against John Robbins in his official capacity as the president of the Iowa State Board of Education, Mackenzie Snow in her official capacity as the director of Iowa State Department of Education. You also have Chad Jansen in his official capacity as chair of the Iowa State Board of Educational Examiners. And then a bunch of other people, uh, community school districts, directors, superintendents. There's at least two or three superintendents named in this lawsuit. And then in typical fashion, certainly in victim status fashion, right at the very beginning of the introduction to the lawsuit here, they claim the First Amendment is the issue. The First Amendment ensures that authors can communicate their ideas to students without undue interference by the government. And then further down, as you might expect, they claim discrimination. You're discriminating against the alphabet soup community and everybody who aligns with them, and they have rights too, and they need to be represented equally, and that is not for government to decide. 
but we as the publishing company are going to sue you now because, well, those are our books too, and <laughs> we're, losing, uh, we're losing readers of our perverse cartoon pornographic books that we want kids to read. And some of the individuals, as it turns out, who are named in this lawsuit who are actually doing the suing, these are some of the, the actual book authors themselves. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. One of them, of course, is a Melinda Lowe. And it says here that the plaintiff Melinda Lowe resides in Massachusetts. She's a best-selling author of the New York Times and has authored several novels, all of which are about queer girls. Lowe's novels have been selected for many best-of lists, including the ALA's Best Fiction for Young Adults and ALA's Rainbow List. Can't get gayer than that, can it? Uh, let's see. That's one list you don't want to be on. Bank Street College's Best Children's Book and Locust, I'm sorry, yeah, Locust Recommended Reading List and the James Tiptree Jr. Long List. Lowe has been honored by the Carnegie Corporation as a great immigrant. It says Lowe's novel, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, is a historic coming-of-age novel set in the 1950s San Francisco about a Chinese-American girl named Lily Hu who discovers her identity as a lesbian. Last night at the Telegraph Club won the National Book Award, the Stonewall Book Award, the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, and a Michael L. Pritz Honor. And it was a L.A. Times Book Prize finalist. I'm sure it was. Now let's shut down all of those organizations, too, because they're gay as well. And apparently, they're the ones, of course, that would back a book like this because it's right up their alley. Because they're involved in the degenerate behavior of children as well and trying to corrupt their minds also. And uh, the story just goes on. But this right here, again, this is more proof that you've got to get your kids out of these places. Because if you have publishing companies and book authors now suing state government and education departments for wanting to pull these books off of the shelves, well, that's the Civil War. This is more proof of the Civil War that's taking place. And there's another aspect of this Civil War that I want to mention. I, I came across this this past weekend here, and, uh, and, and it really is interesting, and I agree with this person wholeheartedly. This is a Christian individual by the name of Robert Bortons, B-O-R-T-I-N-S, and he is the CEO of Classical Conversations, if I'm saying that right. Yeah, Classical Conversations. There we go. And it, they are on YouTube, uh, and about 12 or 13 days ago, he put a, he put a video out about an eight-and-a-half, nine-minute long video, and he's describing how the entire landscape, so to speak, of universal school choice and sort of that, that buzz phrase, which we hear with regularity, is not actually school choice. It is completely controlled, and the individuals who are controlling it are the pseudo-conservatives, as you would expect, and there are many of them that are out there, like the Dennis Pragers of the world and you know, endless other people. But he describes in, in this YouTube video, and I'll just kind of briefly summarize it here, but 
he goes out to, I believe, Las Vegas or Arizona, wherever it was, and he goes to an education conference, a school choice education conference. He says that himself and a friend of his had a combined total of only four minutes to speak, whereas all these other large conservative voices, and he doesn't name names, but he does say you would recognize these people if, if I were to say their, say their names. He said, of course, they were there for over two hours and giving these huge lectures and whatever else. He says the hang-up and, and the real hitch in the whole giddy-up here is he says those are the individuals that are seeking to control as much of the education apparatus as they can. They're advocating for people leaving the public school system, but what they're doing is, is they're creating the same model just with the name school choice. And they're saying, well, come over to these schools that we create, and we're starting to create more of them. Again, these magnet schools or these charter schools or whatever they are. And they're saying, look, again, you know, these are not your American K-12 public schools, the ones that we all grew up with. They're way better. And as it turns out, they aren't. They're exactly the same. And one of the, one of the major details that he describes is he says they fill them with the same technological tools. They fill them with the same books. They fill them with the same curriculum. And it's not anything like what homeschooling really is, which is, a, is theoretically, again, I've even had this discussion with a friend recently over the phone. And I've even referenced some of, their, some of the stories and some of the information that they've brought to me that I've mentioned on the show. But we basically have to come up with a completely different phrase other than homeschool, because that right there still invokes sort of a, a completely different mentality and a brainwashed mentality of, of what is really happening. What, what's really taking place is you have individualized learning. The individual who is living within their home, hopefully, again, their parents' home or a family member's home, where, wherever it is, that they are seeking out information freely and openly using whatever tools that they want to use that are at their disposal. They're not limited to only using you know, a, a certain amount of programs or a certain amount of books or a certain kind of book or a certain kind of program. They're free to just bounce around and explore and, and find factual information. And maybe they come to the realization that some of the things that they thought were factual are in fact not factual. But what Robert Bortons describes, again, is he says you have to watch out for these people. You have to watch out for any of these groups that are seeking to control the way that human beings think, in particular, minors. Because again, if the walls change and the environment changes, but you're still doing the same kinds of things, that's not, that's not school choice. And the term even universal school choice implies that these individuals who are controlling this fully understand that the American K-12 school system is collapsing, but also that they have, to, they have to fill the void, so they think. They have to be there to scoop up all those children who are leaving the American public school system and then put them some other place. When in fact, what Robert Bortons is saying and what I'm saying is, is that neither of those environments are good, that you have to leave both of those environments. The healthiest environment is a quiet one, where an individual can learn freely and openly with whatever tools, again, that they have at their disposal. 
Again, if you find your, let me give you a quick example. If you found your way into one of these charter schools or magnet schools, and you started asking, you know, can I get on Rumble or BitChute when I'm using one of your, uh, you know, one of your computers, and they say, no, we don't have access to that. Well, then that's not that's not school choice. That's not the freedom to choose. That's not the freedom to learn. If you have those kinds of environments restricting access to sites where individuals can find factual information or even books or want to read or do book reports or whatever it is that they want to do on a variety of different subjects, if they don't have the freedom to do that, well, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a problem. Now, I understand how someone listening to this would say, well, that seems rather hypocritical, Sean. You just got done talking about how Penguin Random House is, uh, you know, is suing the state of Iowa because Iowa stakeholders, so to speak, in the education field don't want pornographic books uh, you know, in, in the libraries, and maybe some children want to read those books. Well, that's different. That's pornography. There's nothing educational about that. But see, that's also the gray area in that particular subject is you have the proponents of all of that always claiming that it's about exploration and it's about learning and learning how other individuals do other things and learn about who they are and exploring their own bodies and the bodies of others and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's an absurd, it's a completely absurd argument. One thing has nothing to do with another. If, if an individual, again, wants to explore those books in the privacy of their own home, that's their business. It's unfortunate, but it's their business. But again, th that kind of thing existing in an American K-12 public school, uh, no, it has no place because it's pornography. But again, this is, this is what is unfortunately becoming the gray area is that they're trying to normalize that as much as humanly possible. The problem that, again, Robert Bortons brings up is is that these so-called conservatives who are claiming to be education experts, and they are not, and they're certainly not experts in human development and how people learn and whatever else, you're never going to hear them talk about homeschooling. You're never going to hear about them talk about individualized home learning. And the reason for that is money. There's no money in it for them. If they, ad if they actually advocated for children to leave the American K-12 public system and the brick-and-mortar system and learn freely on their own in whatever environment they want to, preferably the home, well, there, again, there's no money in it. They can't advocate for that. They want to be a safety net in order to capture these, these children and then recreate the entire environment that they're, that they're escaping and say, well, you've escaped there now. What you know? Welcome to welcome to what we have to offer you. They're basically leaving one cult and entering another. They still want to control the mind. They still want to control these individuals. And again, if these individuals pay a little bit of money and those individuals get a kickback for providing them their so-called refuge uh, from the American K-12 public school system, well, then they get what they want, which is more money. And unfortunately, the child isn't really getting any kind of choice. It's the illusion of choice. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. It's very well done, and he's 100% right. He, he openly says, the real Christian homeschooler, quote-unquote, is really the most marginalized individual. Because these large conglomerates and these politicians, they'll never bring that up. They never mention that. 
Again, when was the last time you heard a politician advocate for individuals learning in the home away from government? Next to never. They never bring it up because they can't. Their lobbyists, of course, have their hooks in their backs, yanking them around from this issue to that issue. And they're always trying to reform and improve the American K-12 public school system when, in fact, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The answer already exists. A person should always be free to learn and free to explore the, the, the real world that we live in and the, all the factual information that actually exists anytime that they want, whenever they want, not because a bell rings or because they have to get up at a certain time of day or because they have to uh, you know, change subject matter from hour to hour. An individual, again, should be free to learn whenever they want for however long that they need to learn because, again, the truth is interesting. The reason that school is so boring for so many people is because it's lies. The entire thing is a lie. So you may recall even, you know, I brought up the Heritage Foundation a long time ago, and I brought up this giant document that exists where the Heritage Foundation, again, has basically cornered the entire subject of education and said that in the next administration, whatever conservative administration shows up next, we're going to walk into the White House and we're going to make all these suggestions to the new president as to what the Department of Education should look like and what American K-12 schools should look like and what they need to get back to and you know this, that, and the other. That's, that's also part of the problem. Again, it sounds nice to a lot of people. They say, yeah, we're taking our schools back. Hooray. And then they pat themselves on the back and they all line up. What they don't understand is that they're walking back into the same environment that they cannot fix. You could even change all of the curriculum to factual curriculum, but you're still going to have a personnel problem. You're still going to have a technology problem. You're still going to have discipline problems, drug problems. You're still going to have all of the problems that those environments invite by default. You're still going to have the political problems and the ideological problems and all the gay stuff and everything else. That's all you're going to have. So even if you, again, removed the worst part of what those brick-and-mortar schools have to offer, you're still left with endless other issues that you're never going to be able to fix. This is, again, why, and I, I know this sounds a little black-pilled, but it's, it's just true that regardless of the school board members that you vote for, that's not really the problem. The problem is, is that government doesn't allow anybody to learn freely. They just don't. It is purposefully designed to be controlled. I mean, again, that's what the word government means. It means mind control. But again, it's groups like the Heritage Foundation that sit around and they, they scheme and they meddle. They claim to be everybody's savior when people have to understand that they're just another NGO. That's all they are. They're funded by the money lenders. They're funded by endless donations from very horrible people. And then, of course, they have a direct line to government. And, it's, and, and you're, you're down at the bottom. You're always at the bottom, and they're always way above you. And they say, don't worry, we have your best interests at heart. Again, you know, I commend Donald Trump on a, on a number of different things, but I, I think he's got this one wrong too, is 
first of all, I'm glad that he's brought up homeschooling in the past, and I've played that audio here on the show, that he's advocating for homeschooling and tax credits for homeschoolers, and that's exactly what should happen. Anybody in the United States who homeschools their children should never have to pay taxes to their local school district under any circumstance. That should be statewide and nationwide law all of the time. And if that happened, what you would see, of course, is you would see endless families say, wait a minute, I don't have to pay property taxes to this horrible school district that I've been sending my kids to this entire time anymore? I get to keep that money and spend it any way that I see fit, in particular, maybe, oh, I don't know, getting a computer for my child and internet access and a few other devices and maybe, you know, some books and start our own study and have our own library in our own home. I get to do all those uh, all of those things now. They would all turn their backs on the American K-12 school system. But again, government can't allow that to happen. Government doesn't want that to happen. God, I think, certainly wants that to happen, but not government. Government wants to keep these people in chains. They just want to make sure that the chains have a different name, a different look, and maybe even a slightly different feel, but they're still chains. That's the whole issue. So again, that, you know, that's, why, that's why I don't trust any document that one individual writes for the Heritage Foundation about the future of American education. Give me a break. Because again, they, they don't talk about homeschooling. They use that buzzword, educational choice or universal choice. So again, I'm going to keep bringing this subject up because we have to watch out for this kind of thing. This is, it, it, it's an opportunist's dream. It's exactly what they want. They want to swoop in and play the hero when in fact it's, you know, it's new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. It looks different, but there's nothing different about it. So there you go. Okay. I'm going to move into jab-related things, although still in the school realm. Get a load of this. Kim Carter, friend of mine, friend of the show, friend of ours, uh, she sent this to me, and she sends both of her children, her, her daughter and her son, to Northmont High School. And Northmont High School or at least her daughter goes to Northmont High School. Uh, her son is younger, and I believe attends the, uh, the middle school there in Dayton, Ohio. But they sent out a text message to all of the parents, and here's what it read. It is titled, Northmont High School via Final Forms, Parents and Athletes, quote, the Northmont Athletic Department, in conjunction with Dayton Children's Hospital, will be offering EKG testing for Northmont students and student-athletes on Thursday, December 7th at 3 p.m. in room 5110, Health Rooms. Attached is an informational sheet on what an EKG does, as well as a waiver that will need to be signed. It says, we will have copies of the waiver for you to sign here at the school on that day. I'll get into the waiver thing in just a second. It continues, though, and it says, if you're interested in having your student or student-athlete evaluated, you can pay cash or check at the time of the evaluation. The cost is $75, and we will be running evaluations from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Please enter at door 11, the athletic entrance, and blah, 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 blah. And then they have their phone number, 
Thank you, uh, whatever that is, Micah Harding or whoever the hell. Okay, so why the waiver? Well, first of all, why the EKG? Do they know? I think they know. I think the school knows. They've never done this before. Do they actually believe it's a symptom of long COVID? All these people dropping over dead and having heart attacks and grabbing their chests and whatever else? Or do they actually know that it's the shots? And then, of course, why the waiver? So I think it's pretty evident, at least Kim seems to believe, that uh, the schools are aware, that the schools know that the shots are hurting people and, uh, and causing heart damage. They're, they, of course, are not going to come out and say this. But again, why the waiver then? So I asked A.J. Gochik, our favorite California lawyer, and he said the following to me, uh, texted me back, and he said, that's a good question. He said, without having read the waiver, my guess is, based on the wording in the message, it sounds like a release of liability in case the results are wrong, false negative or false positive. So you can't sue the children's hospital administering the test. In other cases, a waiver for an optional test, which is what that is, would allow the parent to consent to their child playing sports without first undergoing an EKG exam. It's the hospital covering their ass in case there's a false negative. The student plays sports and suffers cardiac arrest on the field. If you pass up on the test, then there should be nothing to sign. I completely agree with that assessment. Um, I would I would add one more thing too, which is it's probably a cover your ass kind of thing from this angle too, which is if they choose to not get an EKG and not pay that ridiculous fee of $75 and they do get sick or they do fall over during a practice or a game, the school or the hospital can at least say, well, hey, we offered it to them. We offered it to them and, and you know, we don't have any record of them actually getting it or taking it. So you know that's not on us either again me personally i think they're they're administering the wrong test they're offering up the wrong test what they should be offering is a d dimer test that's what they should be doing they should be suggesting again that any student athlete or frankly anybody who's been jabbed of course but see if they say that then that's an admission that there's something wrong with the jabs and they certainly don't want to they don't want to bark up that tree because we're again, we're talking about the very individuals that we're probably suggesting that people take it, you know, to keep everybody safe. But they should be offering a D-dimer test. That would detect blood clotting at the microscopic level. But either way, there's no way that Northmont's the only one doing that. Again, we've heard of all of the defibrillator use within schools and how those are popping up again, and they're working that into their budgets and making sure that they have enough defibrillators around. And now what? Now they're offering up EKG tests, and again, in the email, they're not making any mention of even COVID, quote-unquote, which of course doesn't exist, but you know that behind the scenes, they're at the very least suggesting that having a heart attack might be a side effect of having COVID. They certainly believe that, as false as that belief is, but I don't know. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, that was, that was a message that went out to all parents. I, I, I don't think it went out to just individuals who uh you know who play sports or whatever but yeah and kim's not having her kids of course get an ekg because they're not jabbed and i don't think they play sports so there you go 
But yeah, not not just happening in Dayton, Ohio. I'm certain it's happening just about everywhere. Okay, that leads me to this very quickly. I wrote a Substack the other day. Uh, I'll probably write two this month, but this was one of them, and I just wanted to get it out there. Again, it has to do with the reality of poisons and the lie of virology. And it's a very quick, very brief rundown on kind of the quick history of, of the lie of virology and how our body, of course, I don't get into terrain theory too, too much, but of course it is real. It's not a theory. Your body is a terrain, and if you poison it, you become ill. And that's really how it works. That coughing and sneezing is not what causes people to get sick. Uh, coughing and sneezing on people has been disproven for a very, very long time, well over 120 some odd years, if not longer than that. And uh, and yeah, so either way, that's over on the American Classroom Substack page if you're interested in checking that out. And I think it's a rather, again, it's a rather brief explanation, but it should make sense. And if you're interested in sharing that with people, by all means, share it with whoever you have to. Because the real problem, as we know, is not just the lie of virology, but it's all of the technology that we have around us. It's the electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic frequencies. It's certainly 5G towers. And again, that, that has nothing to do with cell phone reception, and it has nothing to do with faster internet speeds. It's a weapon. And it's a weapon created by the Department of, Def of Defense, Lockheed Martin, and they can turn that up anytime they want. And unfortunately, that's exactly what we're seeing, of course, with, uh, with, with the advent or certainly the, the panic talk regarding the old white lung pneumonia. Now, as you might expect, uh, it's AIDS. It really is that simple. It's AIDS. It is a known side effect, or an intentional, however you'd like to phrase it, of individuals who have actually taken the shots. And anyone who has a permanently compromised immune system is likely to experience pneumonia-like symptoms. This has been well known for a very long time, certainly dating back to the pseudo-HIV days, which of course HIV doesn't exist. But the poisonous shots that people took back then and, and again, even the inhalants that they used and any drugs that they were using that destroyed their immune systems, well, pneumonia was one of the causes of death that was listed as the cause of death, or certainly one of the symptoms that was listed on their death certificate. Well, they died of pneumonia. This person died of pneumonia, that person died of pneumonia. Yes, they were quote-unquote HIV positive and diagnosed as having AIDS. But they, again, just had a permanently compromised immune system. So the chronic coughing that you're hearing from individuals, that's what that is. But this is a little different, too, because we're talking about a central nervous system poison that people have willfully taken, again, that they believe is some preventative medicine. Anywho, this is a substack that I subscribe to, and it is COVID Candy. And it's veryvirology.substack.com, and the author's name is Adam Gartner, if I'm saying that correctly. And he wrote this on November 30th, and it says the following, There is no white lung outbreak. The subtitle is, Your Children Aren't Being Targeted by Another Chinese Bioweapon. He is correct. It says the following here. It's rather short, but I I'm going to read this in, in its entirety. Uh, here we go. It says, breaking 142 cases of white lung syndrome reported in Ohio. Fears of a China-like outbreak grip the nation as the CDC demands clarity from China. Children most affected. 
Exclamation point. Again, you heard me say they got the kids now. They were saying early on, three, you know, three plus years ago, that, well, kids don't get COVID. Now they're saying, uh, kids get it now. Uh, you know, th- this, this white lung pneumonia thing, kids are getting it. Are they jabbed? Are they being shed on by their jabbed parents and the jabbed people around them at school? Yes, that's still in play too. So there's a shedding aspect, which is very real, but there's also the actual jab recipients themselves. They're the ones that are experiencing this the most. And if you just lean on that 5G lever and just turn it up just a little bit, well, that's going to disrupt a whole lot of people. So he continues here, and here's what he says, quote, It's a compelling storyline that has quietly been under development for the last month or so. Pictures of ghost town Chinese airports, rather, crowded Chinese hospitals, filled to standing room, pictures of Chinese people dead on the streets, and today breathless reports of 142 cases of children with walking pneumonia in Ohio, and fears, quote-unquote, of another China-like outbreak. The story of some new weaponized pathogen coming out of China is one that we're all too familiar with, and the fact that it's reportedly primarily affecting children adds a whole new layer to the scare tactics. So let's take a look at what's actually being reported. And it says walking pneumonia. The condition is being characterized as walking pneumonia or white lung, quote unquote, an infection of the lung that progresses silently causing pneumonia and lung injury without any of the usual outward symptoms such as coughing, fever, etc. The responsible pathogen has been at least tentatively identified as myc- I'm sorry, mycoplasma uh, pneumonate, if I'm saying that right. Though 142 cases being reported are actually the sum of similar such syndromes, a collection of symptoms with which primarily children have presented to hospitals since August this year. That minor fact has been largely omitted from the breathless fear-mongering that has suddenly been splashed across Twitter feeds and news headlines. 142 cases over three months adds up to about a case and a half per day. That is not what an outbreak of a new potentially pandemic infectious disease looks like. Furthermore, the responsible pathogen being mycoplasma raises several more questions. Mycoplasma is a Commensal bacterium. It is a natural, occasional inhabitant of our human microbiome. With a functional immune system keeping it in check, it's no more dangerous than any of the multitude of other bacteria that naturally reside there. So what's really going on? With outbreaks being reported in China, Denmark, and now Ohio, among others, it's, it's sure seeming like somebody is intent on hyping this up. Even a cursory examination of what's being reported, though, should be enough to make any thinking person very skeptical of the new China-like pandemic, quote-unquote, storyline that's being reported. It's a relatively tiny number of cases spread over a relatively long period of time of a bacterial pathogen, not a virus, that is naturally ubiquitous in our environment. I would even argue that that's not true. Now, that's me, that's me talking, not him. He must think that viruses are actually real. I'm not sure. Uh, either way, he does finally say down here that it's a hallmark of HIV infection, which he's partially right. 
HIV doesn't exist, but permanently uh, compromised immune systems do. It continues here. It says, presuming that there's even a common factor between the cases, which given the tiny numbers is far from certain, I'm more inclined to think that it's yet another long delayed effect of the COVID vaccines. The spike protein specifically due to the HIV GP120 protein insertion has an extremely deleterious effect on the immune system when it comes into contact with CD4 immune cells and the kernels of the immune system primarily responsible for organizing and directing an immune response, the depletion of which is a hallmark of HIV infection. And he's right. Uh, and in fact, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kind of skip to the end here. He says, nevertheless, the hype and hysteria is ramping up, and there's a growing amount of independent media that also seem to be taking it seriously, forecasting that this might be disease X or a new Chinese bioweapon. It really doesn't take a lot of investigation to determine that it's very, very highly unlikely to be anything of the sort. He says basically people should push back on on this fake narrative as much as they push back against you know the the COVID uh, the, the whole COVID lie, and basically just get out in front of it w- with the right terminology as as much as possible. Um, but he wraps up and says if it really is to be the beginning of another push toward masks, social distancing, lockdowns, etc., the most important thing we can all do at this point is to clearly highlight the facts which do not indicate a new potential pandemic outbreak, and if, the, and if the calls for mandates start to come, do not comply, unquote. Again, just kind of in summary here, it's AIDS. That's what this is. I like, I like the acronym AIDS because, again, I've even heard some people say, well, AIDS isn't real. AIDS isn't a disease of any kind. It's an acronym that defines a condition, a whole body condition that an individual has where they have acquired a deficient immune system and now they have syndromes, endless illnesses, different kinds of illnesses, a plethora of illnesses as a result of having a compromised immune system. This is just a side effect of AIDS. Almost every single thing that we're going to see now is going to be occurring among the jabbed. It's not going to be with us. That's unless, of course, the shedding is still in play, which I firmly believe that it is, of course, and then kicking up the 5G even higher. If they do that, that's going to impact a lot of people, even the unjabbed. But any pneumonia outbreak of any kind is hands down among the jabbed. And this is, you know, this has to be something that the doctors are seeing. They have to be noticing this. They have to be noticing that the people that have these conditions are the ones who have taken the shots. Because it's even their own employees, for God's sakes. Even their own employees are ill with regularity. And what did their own employees do? What does everybody have in common? These fear tactics, again, you know, we, we were given a great lesson in 2020. If anybody bought the nonsense in 2020, they've got a, they've got a firm decision that they're going to have to make here. Again, whether they're jabbed or they're unjabbed, and certainly those of us who are not, well, we can see this a little more clearly as, as to what it is. Again, you know, the powers that be here, so to speak, are, are going to play every card that they have to play. We know, again, a variety of different things regarding the shots as far as policy is concerned. We know that they still want to try to get the COVID shots 
on the schedule, on the regular vaccine schedule for everyone to take, certainly among individuals who attend American K-12 schools and universities. This is one of the things that does exist. It's still rolling on down the line. The FDA is involved. The CDC is involved. The two of them are working together to try to make that the case. People need to just not comply. There's always the waivers, of course, and the exemptions. And then, of course, there's non-attendance. That's, you know, that's the real answer. That's the real non-compliance is not attending. But again, for people to continue to buy into this, and we know that the American K-12 school system is certainly going to do it, and we know that city councils are going to buy into it, and we know that universities and college environments are going to buy into it again, uh, certainly doctors' offices and hospitals, I mean, they haven't learned their lesson. They just haven't learned. But they're not going to ask the most obvious question, which is, what do all these sick people have in common? What's the one thing that they all did that other people didn't do? It's amazing. That actually leads me to this, which is equally as amazing. And this is actually a perfect example of a terrible study that really is remarkably biased, and, uh, and, and they really don't hide it. I'm, I'm going to read this in its entirety. It's not long. Uh, I will read this one in, in its entirety, I promise. But this comes out of Wales. And this was a particular university study that was done by, well, let's see, four doctors anyway, a Weiglers, Roberts, Woodman, and Cook. And it is titled, The Effect of Agency and Communion on Pandemic Response and Post-Lockdown Recovery. Now, it's going to be easy for you to detect the bias in this because, again, they basically state that there are personality traits as to why individuals went along with all of the COVID measures and why individuals did not. And they basically divide us into two separate categories. But for those of us who didn't comply and for those of us that didn't go along with it, they essentially call us all narcissists. That that's the reason why we didn't go along with it because we have narcissistic tendencies. That's hilarious. That's, of course, a mental disorder, and that's not true at all. In fact, I would argue that the authors are probably a bit narcissistic with such a, uh, such a conclusion. Either way, here's what it says. Background. Human personality can be considered through the lens of two broad dimensions known as agency and communion. Agency reflects competence, independence, achievement, and is characterized by a strong drive for control, power, and influence whereas communion relates to factors such as agreeableness, social dependence, and caring, and is characterized by nurturing and cooperative behaviors. Now again, <laughs> that's, that's someone else's definition of those two things, and I would argue that that's not accurate at all. But it continues, it says the impact of population health messages may be influenced by these personality traits. The aims of the study. It says the study aimed to explore the effects of agentic and communal personality traits on individual people's responses to the pandemic, including their compliance with lockdown rules and health advice during the first UK national COVID-19 lockdown and on their recovery, well-being, and behavior after lockdowns ended. Here were the methods. Part 1. It says, we used a survey methodology to find out participants' personality types and their behaviors during the lockdown. 
participants were invited to nominate a person or buddy who knew them well and were aware of their behavior during the pandemic period in order to confirm their responses to the survey. And then part two, during the period from February 15th to May 10th of 2023, after the lockdowns had ended, participants completed short surveys about their well-being every two weeks over a period of three months. Here were the measures. Validated and widely used scales were used to assess individuals' personality and well-being outcomes. To incorporate pandemic beliefs and behaviors into our study, we adapted items from established health scales. Here were the participants. 1,729 health-wise Wales participants, 40% male, 60% female. No transgenders in there anywhere? From across Wales took part in part one of the study. 230 buddies took part in confirming the information provided by survey participants. And 850 participants from part one also reported their well-being post-lockdown. The summary of the findings. Here we go says the results of this study provide important insight into the effect of personality on compliance with health advice during the pandemic and on post-pandemic recovery. Who does not comply with health advice, they asked. Answer. Individuals higher in agentic personality were less likely to comply with lockdown regulations, infection prevention advice, and health messaging compared to individuals higher in communal personality. How can we improve compliance with health, health advice, they ask? Two answers. Individuals higher in agentic personality are more likely to improve their compliance with health advice as the personal threat of infection increases compared to individuals higher in communal personality who are less likely to improve their compliance as the threat of infection increases. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't I don't believe that at all. I think they got it backwards. If they again, agentic personality specifically has to do with narcissistic traits. Now earlier of course they didn't necessarily describe it like that. However, they said that people who have that kind of personality trait tend to enjoy power and control more than others. No, I don't think that's true either. You essentially have these two real personality traits. You have individuals who are not independent thinkers who go along with the crowd. And then you have individuals who are independent thinkers who don't go along with the crowd. You have critical thinkers and non-critical thinkers. You have individuals that follow and individuals that lead. You have people who are following, thinking they're leading, when in fact they're not. You have people who are objective, and you have people who are not objective. You have people who run on emotion and feelings, and you have individuals who run on fact and actual hard evidence and investigate things. These are the two separate kinds of personalities. They're really blurring the lines here between these two because, again, their first result there doesn't, doesn't fit at all. Here was their second one. Health messaging, it says that emphasizes the combined impact of not following health advice on both the community, other-focused, and the individual, self-focused, is likely to be more effective in promoting compliance among individuals with communal and agentic characteristics, respectively, 
compared to messages that do not take personality into account. So here's the translation. The translation is is they're saying that if their messaging on health advice has to do with, well, here's what's going to happen if you don't. If you don't do this, then here's what's going to happen to you and the group. They seem to think that it's that the response is more effective that way among both personality types. I would disagree with that also. A more communal personality type is the kind of individual who would want to sit on a school board, the kind of individual who would want to sit on a city council. And what did those people do? Those people went along with it. And the more that they were told, well, if you don't do this, then this is going to be the negative health impact that everybody's going to engage in, so you'd better do this or else. They all went along with it. And the perfect example, I think, is wearing more than one mask. Remember that? People wearing two plus masks? Remember the pantyhose over the masks? Remember that also? That way it pushes the pushes both masks even closer into your face? That's not the agentic personality individual, as they would say. That's the communal personality. Because a complete stranger is telling them you have to wear two masks, because that's what Anthony Fauci said. So if he says it, then you have to do it too, because if you don't do that, well, look what's, you know, you're going to kill grandma, and you're going to kill the kids, and look what's going to happen. It's, it's nuts. I mean, again, the authors of this study give away their bias here. They're basically, they're basically blaming everybody, not taking responsibility for the fact that this entire thing was a hoax, and then they're actually suggesting new ways in order to trick people. It then says, what's the cost of compliance on people's well-being? This was another question they asked. Here were the answers. There were two of them. The more individuals complied with health advice during lockdown, the worse their well-being post-lockdown. Yeah. And there you have it. See, they're openly admitting if you went along with it, you felt worse after the fact. Well, why would that be? Here's the second answer. Increasing awareness of the risk of infection can effectively encourage compliance, but it also has negative consequences on people's well-being and recovery especially for those higher in communal traits. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, what does this mean? You have to keep in mind, this study was conducted after the rollout of the shots, which means the individuals taking this are most certainly jabbed. You have people who took this survey here in this study that are jabbed and those that are not. And the results of what they are finding is that you have to assume that the individuals who are jabbed are the ones who are saying that they feel worse post-lockdown and that their well-being and recovery is worse. And it just so happens that those are all the individuals within the communal traits of personality. Well, what'd you all go along with? What's that one thing that you all have in common? It's incredible. Here's the implications for future public messaging strategies. And see, this is key because this is the part that they always hone in on. They always hone in on how can we get everybody to comply? How can we get everybody's personality type to be the same? How can we turn everybody into a robot? Here's what they said, quote, 
Agentic individuals are motivated by power, influence, and control. It's not true. It says, for agentic characteristics, complying with health advice poses a threat to their sense of control, and as a result, they are less likely to adapt new health behaviors. No, you pose a threat to our independence and our freedom. See, just move the word control out and influence and power and insert freedom and independence and critical thinking. That's really what they're trying to wipe out. It says, our analysis suggests that agentic characteristics are more likely to adopt new health behaviors when they understand the personal health risks and consequences of not complying. No, no, no. Uh, I disagree with that also, at least if I'm reading it correctly. Us not complying doesn't mean that we're putting ourselves at risk for anything. Us not complying meant we were critically thinking and we found the real health behaviors and we, we realized what those were and we documented them. And of course, we acquired the necessary medication and supplements and we know what that is, as opposed to the communal personality individuals. These are the individuals still wearing masks. When those of us, of course, never wore a mask ever. It then says this self-focused response is in line with their tendency to prioritize their own well-being in response to factors that threaten their sense of personal competence and independence. Do you hear the way that they talk about us? I mean, I hope you're hearing the way that they phrase, uh, you know, use their words to describe us. It really is condescending and really insulting. They care more about their own well-being in response to factors that threaten their sense of personal competence and independence. No, we just hate you because you're dumbasses. <laughs> That's all. It's really simple. It continues. It says, on the other hand, individuals with more communal traits are motivated by social status and acceptance through caring and nurturing others. See? We're the uncompassionate bunch, but they are the compassionate ones. Uh-uh. We're smart, you're dumb. That's really what it is. We critically think, you're retarded. It's very simple. It continues, it says, Thus, there are, they are more likely to comply with health advice because it aligns with their nurturing tendencies. Our results suggest individuals higher in communal personality are more likely to adopt health behaviors that align with health advice and health messaging. Well, that's true, and that's a deadly mistake, because there's nothing healthy about the advice nor the messaging. It's propaganda designed to kill you. It continues, it says, Considering our findings in relation to public messaging campaigns, we believe that messages emphasizing both the communal, other-focused, and agentic, self-focused, costs of not following health advice are likely to be more effective in driving compliance compared to messages that do not take personality into account. So they want the messaging to fit our personality because they think that they can trick us that way. Well, you can, you can trick the communal personality people, but you can't fool us. You can't. The cat's out of the bag. There's no tricking us now. 
it wraps up here. It says, a need for balance. During the COVID-19 lockdown, anxiety-provoking health messages were effective in improving compliance. However, messages targeting people's recovery and transition back to normality post-lockdown were less prevalent, potentially hindering the recovery of millions. Wow. Wow. Is that dumb or what? They actually wrote that because they believe it. They think that because the messaging was poor when it came to COVID's not around anymore, everybody can go back to normal, that if they started saying those things, then that somehow hindered people's recovery. No, what hindered their recovery was the fact that they were injected with a biological weapon and they have AIDS now because they went along with it. But they openly admit, too, that anxiety-provoking health messages were effective. Yes, it was effective on the communal personality type. They continued and said, Our findings suggest, although increasing worry is effective in driving behavioral compliance during pandemics, using such strategies undermines people's well-being and psychological recovery. Specifically, people with higher communal traits are likely to still be suffering from the effects of the lockdown period for some time after restrictions end. Yeah, because they went along with the lie, and all their friends and family did, and they all just drove each other off a cliff. It says, without guidance, these people are more likely to maintain the infection prevention behaviors recommended during lockdown which may undermine their psychological recovery post-lockdown. Yes, because they're the easiest to brainwash, and it worked on them. That's why. (laughs) It's incredible. And they're actually saying and suggesting that it be health officials and government who provide this guidance to the communal trait individuals. As long as they keep following the health professionals and government, they will lead you out of all the trouble that you're experiencing. And if they're dumb enough to believe that, well, they're not going to live very long. It says these results emphasize the need for phase-appropriate messaging across the entire time scale of a crisis, including response, maintenance of health behaviors, and recovery phases, promoting anxiety-provoking Health messages without a recovery support phase may incur significant social and financial costs in the future. Unbelievable. There's one more paragraph, but I want to get to that last sentence. They still think that anxiety provoking health messages are impactful, but they think that if they keep doing those without having a counter-message at the end of a fake pandemic, well, then that's why people are mentally ill now. Because they didn't have proper messaging at the end of their lie. The reason you didn't have messaging at the end of your lie would mean that you would have to admit to your lie. I mean, what are they going to do? Openly tell people that they want everybody dead? No, they're not going to say that. They just want us dependent on them from cradle to grave. It's, it's astounding. It wraps up here. It says, quote, Our findings offer new and valuable insights 
into the interplay between agentic and communal personality traits and compliance with health advice. By understanding and addressing the specific motivations and concerns of different personality types, policymakers can develop targeted messaging that effectively promotes adherence to health guidelines and recovery from crisis across a broader range of individuals, unquote. No, it's just not going to work on us because it doesn't work on us. And I think it has less to do with your fake definition of a personality trait and more to do with the fact that we are critical thinkers. It's not that we're full of ourselves. It's that we don't trust people. We don't trust government. We don't trust strangers. We don't like drugs. We don't like peer pressure. And communal personalities like all of those things. They have no problem having complete strangers peer pressure them into doing things that are ridiculous. And they don't see them as being ridiculous. They, again, think that it's for the greater good, quote-unquote. That old Bolshevik Marxist term. It's for the greater good. We're all in this together. We're not brainwashed. That's it. We're not brainwashed. We aren't tortured, and we're not retarded. We're critical thinkers. That's why we're alive. Remember that letter that I read a long time ago from that French general? And he basically said that the individuals who are unjabbed and didn't go along with all of the lockdowns are hands down the strongest and smartest and best humans that exist on the face of the planet. Do you remember that? He was right. He was 100% right. He said these individuals stood up against the machine and they won. They did not back down. They knew what was right. They did their reading. They did their research. They did their thinking. They communicated, even with complete strangers who later, of course, became all of our listening friends and internet friends and all of that other stuff, which is fantastic. We've made new relationships as a result. But look at all the people who, who went along with it. What new relationships have they made? None. They've destroyed their relationships with people. Because they took the wrong side. Families have been destroyed as a result of this. Marriages have been destroyed. Because one individual knew what was right and the other one didn't. On all angles, from, from every conceivable angle. So no, we are not narcissists. We do not suffer from a you know, inflated sense of self where we are interested in power and, and do not accept responsibility for our actions and are sociopathic. Uh, that, that's not who we are. That just isn't who we are. We're thinkers. We're introverted. We're quiet. We observe. And as a result, we're more intelligent. That's just the way that that is. Those are the real characteristics of a personality type of an individual who is more intelligent. And now we are alive. And we don't have AIDS. There's that. There's always that one. So there you go. I'm going to end on a positive note here too. Lawsuits, ladies and gentlemen, they are flying. They're flying around like crazy. Now what's going to come from these? Well, I have no idea. But Ken Paxton in Texas is suing Pfizer. And he's suing them for basically misleading individuals. It doesn't have anything to do with death per se 
or trying to kill people, which is unfortunate, but it has to do again with misleading individuals into believing that their shots were going to prevent something when in fact they clearly are not. So there's that lawsuit. The Kaiser Hospital Foundation, all the Kaiser hospitals that exist across the nation, they're being sued. Uh, the Shriners Hospital is also being sued. The Ascension Hospitals are being sued. And this is a good thing. Again, it puts pressure on them, and hopefully in court, people start saying the real things. Like, oh, I don't know, viruses don't exist, and COVID has never been isolated. Therefore, it's not a real thing. When did people start getting sick, and what was the thing that they did to themselves that made them sick? That's the source of your problem. That's the location of the real cause here. And yes, of course, the individuals in the groups who went along with this and created the entire depopulation agenda, you know, people should go after them as well, too. But you got to start somewhere. Why not go after the actual pharmaceutical companies themselves and go after the hospitals? Because, yeah, they're killing their own employees. Again, you have an employee, for example, like Kim Carter, who straight up told these people to their faces what they were doing, the harm that they were causing. She upheld her oath. The individuals running that select medical hospital out of Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, well, they aren't. It's that simple. What's the one thing that they all have in common that's making them all sick, and yet Kim Carter hasn't participated and she's perfectly healthy? Hmm. What could it possibly be? There you go. So I hope something comes out of the lawsuits again, even if it's the disclosure of certain information, that would be fantastic. But something's got to break here because people aren't buying it. The unfortunate part, of course, is that these individuals being sued don't want to admit ever that they were wrong. The hospitals don't want to admit they're wrong. The pharmaceutical industry doesn't want to admit it was wrong. And frankly, it's not that the pharmaceutical industry was wrong. They knew what they were doing. That, that's the real crux of the matter, and, and that right there is hopefully what comes out in court, is that someone can prove that they actually knew exactly what they were doing. Now, this evidence exists. Tom Rents has mentioned this numerous times. I've brought it up on the show. It's in government paperwork. They've patented these kinds of poisons. They know exactly what they're doing, but this has to come out in a court of law, unfortunately. Now, I don't trust the judicial system, again. I have plenty of reason not to, but who knows? Maybe somebody brings it to, uh, you know, to the attention of a judge and says, hey, look, here's a patent number and here's a government document that says they want us all dead. Hard to deny that. Awfully hard to deny that. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless. <laughs>